on average, how much time does it take you per week to do something like that? Um, it depends. Uh, I can control. It can be anywhere from zero hours up to 20 hours. But the good thing is most of these things are not extremely time sensitive and I can control how much time I do. In your journey, what other skills did you need to get? Like, where were your gaps when you came into yeah. this? Um, a, a lot of it, you have to understand the lingo. That's number one. <laughs> you, you have to understand the players. Um, so this is, this is from, from, you have to read up on who, what is a startup company? Um, who invests? What are the different ways to invest? How does an investor make money? I think other than education, it's just meeting people who are doing the same thing, who have a little bit more experience, or if they don't, at least, you know, you have someone to talk to about these things and, you know, just, just a sense of community, I would say. What you are saying is you're even one step before that, you're an angel because you come in with money without them even having a bit of success. So the guys who present them, them to, to the Shark Tank, they've got some sales, they've got some revenues, they've got some things going, and now they want to expand, they want to get bigger, and they need money to scale. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Throughout my podcast, I try to present different aspects of finance to physicians and people in the healthcare industry in Canada. And so what I try to do is to demonstrate to people that we're not just healthcare providers. We are moms, dads, uh, siblings. We are also investors. And some of us are entrepreneurs. And some of us do things outside of medicine. And today is a perfect opportunity to speak to Dr. Tanasi, who is an entrepreneur at heart and who also participates in angel investing. And so what we're gonna to do today is try to understand how, where, what, and why. Hopefully for you, this is the episode that will trigger the inner passion in you to look at other things and other opportunities outside of medicine. Okay, well, thank you for coming back. Welcome to the show, How Is My Financial Health Doc Podcast, and I am your host, Vu Ketran. Today, I've got a treat for everyone because I really wanted to dive into this topic a little bit more. Uh, and this topic is really about non-clinical work for physicians. You know, recently, there has been a lot of talk about uh, burnout. And when I say talk, it's really the elephant in the room. Uh, but, you know, it's more and more prevalent uh, even before pandemic and now post-pandemic post even more so. And so how do physicians and healthcare professionals beat burnout? 
prevent burnout, mitigate burnout. I think there are several solutions and the causes of burnout are not unifactorial. They're multifactorial for sure. But the topic we're going to talk about today definitely can help with this. And the topic is, you know, non-clinical work for physicians and healthcare professionals. And today I've got on the show with me, Dr. Tanazi Tiodras. Um, it's a Greek name. I'm having challenges with that, you know. As you know, I have challenge with English just to begin with, so <laughs> never mind a, a Greek name. So uh, can I call you Tanazi? Yeah, absolutely. Tanazi, welcome to the show. Uh, call me Vu, by the way. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you are an eMERGE doc yeah. like myself, so already I like you. Uh, so tell, <laughs> us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I'm a community ER doctor. I'm going on my 13th year of practice. I practice mostly in Montreal. I do the occasional locum in Northern Quebec and some telemedicine work. Okay, very good. Now, the reason you're on the show is because you're not a simple eMERGE doc. You do something else too. And this something else has nothing to do with emergency medicine nor medicine, but it really intrigued me because it's in the domain of finance. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been active as an angel investor over the past year or so. Um, I invest in health tech companies. I invest in other startups. And it's something that I enjoy quite a bit. I'm definitely no expert. I am no venture capitalist. Um, it's something that I fell into in 2014. And then as of last year, I've been more, more active. So the story is, is, goes like this. Um, I was visiting my family in, in Greece in 2014, and my younger sister was um, listening to songs on this thing on her phone called Spotify. And I just, you know, I was very curious to find out what it is. She explained. I thought it was interesting that she was really into it and how easy it was. I liked it. So when I came back to Canada, I, I thought it was a great idea and I wanted to invest in it. So I looked online. Um, I ended up finding a site called microventures.com, which offered second, the second, the secondary market share that you could buy. And um, I said, what the heck? I'll try. And so I, I invested in, in Spotify back in 2014. And uh, I thought I was going to get maybe scammed because these were people that I I'd never met. I just talked to them on the phone. I sent them bunch of money i signed a whole bunch of paper and then three years later three years and two months later i got a check back um for two and a half times what i had invested initially and i think i was hooked <laughs> after that um looking back uh, it, it, it was it was luck maybe there was some intuition um i i really you know obviously when, when you're lucky and you make a good return like that, it, it you know, whets your appetite. I did want to do things better because the people who were running the, uh, the funds, they ended up selling without telling me anything right before the IPO. And if they had, they had kept the money or if I had some control of the money, I would have been able to do much better than 25 X in, in, in three years, which is still really good. Um, so I looked into it and I figured, you know, I'll take a small portion of my portfolio, five, 
maximum 10% of my portfolio and uh, try to do it myself. Try to do the investing myself. It's something that I enjoy. I am an ER physician, obviously. I like adrenaline. Um, my risk tolerance is, is higher than maybe the average physician. I don't know, maybe I'm patting myself on the back. I, I don't know. So I figured I would do it myself, have a little bit more control, meet some of the founders myself and see where it takes me. So I started reading books, listening to some podcasts. And uh, then eventually I, I joined a, a group of physician angel investors that exist here in Canada, Halo Health. And uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's, it's been an interesting ride since then, I would say. Well, thank you very much for that. There's a lot to unpack. So let me unpack it a little bit because our listeners may not be in the same realm as you are. Mm -hmm. uh, so you mentioned a few words, um, venture capitalist and angel investor. Mm -hmm. So give us a, maybe your understanding what a venture capitalist yeah. is and uh, your understanding of what an angel investor is and what's the difference. Yeah, absolutely. So this is how I understood it when I, when I was starting out. Um, so there is a public markets that you can access, you know, with, with stocks and TSX and S&P 500. And then there's a private markets that you cannot access in, in the same fashion. And so within private equity, um, there is venture capital, which is investing in new companies, private companies who are growing rapidly and you're taking a piece of the business, a piece of the, piece of the equity. Mm -hmm. And when the business has a liquidation event, meaning it either gets bought out by another company or it goes public, then you can have your money back or some of the money back and keep some stock maybe. Um, so that's, that's how you, you make money. You take a piece of a growing business. So angel investing is part of venture capital. It just happens really early on in the lifestyle of a, of a business. So when you have the founders of the company who are building a product and maybe they don't have their first sale yet, they don't have their first client yet, or they have you know, a handful of clients, you buy a piece of the business, um, you provide some advice if you have domain expertise or if you're a previous entrepreneur. So you help, you're a cheerleader, you, you have, you're an investor and you're, you're taking a big risk. And that's, that's what it is in a nutshell. Okay, thank you. I will try to clarify that a little bit more. So mm -hmm. most of us, unless we've hidden un under a rock or something, most of us have heard of Kevin O'Leary, Dragon's Den, or Shark Tank. So shows like that are venture capitalists, right? So these are people who have money. They, they already have money from previous successes. They have money and they listen to a pitch of some poor guy who wants to get more money to increase his business. And Kevin O'Leary now wants 20% of that business at a certain amount. And so he's investing in this new idea and this new business from this poor guy who's going to try to get some money from Kevin O'Leary. So Kevin O'Leary and a shark tank are venture capitalists. What you are saying is you're even one step before that. You're an angel because you come in with money. 
without them even having a bit of success. So the guys who present them to, to the Shark Tank, they've got some sales, they've got some revenues, they've got some things going, and now they want to expand, they want to get bigger, and they need money to scale. But there's a certain track record, there's a certain proof, there's a certain revenue. You are coming in before that when they have no track record, no revenue, no money, nothing but an idea. And they mm-hmm. come to Tanazi and say, Tanazi, I want some of your money to get me kickstarted, but all I have is an idea. Do you believe in my idea? And so that's where the angel investor comes in. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, it's, it, it's a people's game, they say. Um, although there is a bit of a track record. It could be someone who has founded already a couple of companies, and this is the third time they're trying. They're, they're going for the big exit. They're going for, for the IPO. Um, but yeah, generally, I would say this is a good description. It's really early on. It, it's really it's early high on. risk. Yeah. Okay. So now that we kind of determined that, you also mentioned there's a group called Halo Health. Mm-hmm. Explain to us what Halo Health is. Are all these people angel investors or some of these are VCs as well? Um, it's almost all of them are practicing physicians or angel investors. There is, uh, there are two or three people in leadership who are taking care of a lot of the administrative aspects of setting up an SPV and then vehicles to invest. Um, but for over 95% of the people who are, of the people who are involved with Halo Health are practicing positions for serving as angel investors, for serving as advisors of, of, of startups. And they, it's already a bit of a track record. There's been at least two exits that were fairly quick and with fairly high IRRs. Very good. So as a physician, if I'm interested in, you know, investing in the same type of vehicles that you are looking at, uh, and I don't know where to go, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blind to this, I don't know, but I want to get started. Would Halo Health be a good place to start or should I start somewhere else? What, what is your suggestion? I think it's by far the easiest and probably highest yield for a practicing physician. You'll find people who are like-minded individuals. There's quite a bit of education that happens in in, in the community. Um, And the companies that are vetted and presented every month, there's about four, three to four every month. They're really high quality. So both from an investment point of view, but from an investment and educational point of view, it's, it's a great place to start. Okay, so uh, I join. I join Halo. Let's say I'm interested. I join Halo, mm-hmm. and um, you know what? I've got a. I've got some savings hidden in, inside my pillowcase. Uh, let's just call it half a million. I have half a million inside my pillowcase, and I want to so invest. It's a big in pillowcase. Yeah. It's a big pillowcase. Uh, you know, I've been around long enough. Uh, been I've I grind my teeth for a long time, and now I've got some money. Uh, it's in my pillowcase, and I want to invest in something like this. You mentioned that your portfolio, you're going to put not more than 10%. That is what you've decided. Mm -hmm. So obviously I'm not going to put my entire 500 into it. Typically, typically, you know, someone like a, like yourself, a physician with a certain portfolio, let's call it 500,000. How do you determine how much I put in? What's my limit? And do people even accept you if you say, I'm only going to put 25,000 in? Does that even exist? Or is that too little? Um, so I would say Halo Health is actually is getting even more flexible and 
even more geared to helping the practicing physician who's starting out. Um, so my latest investment with, with some fees, obviously, was 5,000 US. So even lower than 25,000 because it's part of the uh, SPV special purpose vehicle. So we have pooling of funds from different physicians, different investors um, who uh, get pulled in, in, into one entity and that entity sits on the capitation table. It has one representative as an investor. So the founder does not have to talk to 30 different people who have invested five to 10,000 each, but they have to talk to one representative. So you're able to get a bigger amount of investors who don't risk as much of their capital and you don't have to talk to every single one of them, which you know, logistically would be complicated for, for, for the founders and for, for a startup that's you know, working over time. Of course. So let me understand the idea. So Halo Health is an organization that helps bring doctors together, bring money together and set different pools and different funds to invest in different startups. So I can be, I can put in as little as 5,000, like you say, 5,000 US, mm -hmm. you put in your 5,000, Bob, Cecilia, put in their 5,000. Let's assume it's only 5,000. So we put our money together and we made a hundred thousand together in, in this pool. And we're going to start, we're going to invest in company X. Mm -hmm. uh, within this organization, there's another pool, uh, which invest in company Y. Is, is that the idea? Yep, that's the idea. Um, you can have an SPV of 30 people who invested a total of 200,000. And then you, if you really like the company, you can invest yourself 25,000 through a different vehicle, through a safe or through a convertible note. So you can definitely go that way. Got well. it. Got it. So I know nothing about this, but this is something that I can learn. I can slowly invest in these type of angel investing type of vehicles through Halo Health. Now you mentioned you went on it on your own as well. Describe that journey to us. What 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 was that, and how are you doing it? Um, so I am aside of Halo Health, uh, which is basically focused in healthcare, uh, health tech, med tech companies. I bec I have I wanted to diversify a little bit my interests, and because I come from Greece and I. There's just an emotional connection and I, I wanted to support the ecosystem in Greece. I am doing, I did some investments by myself in the Greek ecosystem. So I wanted to diversify my investments. I didn't just want to invest in, in the healthcare, health tech and med tech startups. I wanted to have some other investments. Um, I ended up investing in Flyway Homes, which was a really, uh, really early on investment um, because I knew the founder and the founder was this legendary figure in, in the Greek startup ecosystem who had uh, created the equivalent of uh, the Greek Uber in, in the early 2010s, who got to expand to Latin America and to compete head on with Uber and even beat Uber in, in a couple of countries. So by the time he had his first exit and he was ready for his second idea it was I, I bet on the founder essentially and his product again was the same philosophy he, he or the startup again was was similar um it was essentially shared ownership of big uh expensive uh, real estate uh which already 
existed in the U.S. Uh, Picasso was the, the the equivalent, and they they were doing extremely well. They had become a unicorn within a year or so. So that was a high risk investment that I took myself, and it was based on I know the founder. I know he's using basically the same team as the previous startup, and I'll take I'll take a bet there. Um, and then I also got involved with another group in Greece, Genesis Ventures, that do all kinds of investments. Um, I look at the health tech and med tech investments actively with them, with the general partners, um, and we invest in startups in that field, but also deep tech, um, prop tech. A fintech, yes, fintech is, is, is very hot these days. But I'm, I don't take a leading role. I have invested some of my capital. The other angel investors who are there, the general partners who are there, they take more more of a leading role when it comes to those types of companies. I deal with, I, I give uh, an opinion and after research and, and some work on the health tech and med tech, and it's it's quite interesting to me. yourself you've joined a group mm -hmm. this group called genesis mm -hmm. and and this group is a also angel investor or a vc group so it's a mix um it's a mix, it, it's a mix. there's angels and uh, there's and there's venture capital as well so um there's some money that we put in as into the fund but is venture and then there's angel investing on top of that. So if I see a company that I like so, and the company uh, Genesis ends up investing there, then their capital goes in and I also, I, but I can invest by myself as well. So help us understand a little bit of your role because you're mm -hmm. still a physician, you're still practicing in Montreal, yeah. uh, but you're part of this group that invests in other businesses. So what does your day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week work look like when yeah. you're part of that group? Explain that a little bit to us. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very, very useful. So I do have my shifts, you know, that I have to go to, and I do have my CME, and I do have my um, other meetings, department meetings, uh, committees that you have to attend, some, some teaching as well with, with medical students, the occasional family medicine resident. Uh, but then... I will look at different pitch decks. So we call it PowerPoint presentations of companies. Uh, we will scan through quite a few of them to see which ones look interesting. And then once we screen the ones that look interesting, then we do deeper dives into them. So we get more information about the company. We get more information about their products. Their uh, competition is super, super important. Um, we have to have a good idea of, of the founders, their previous experience. We, we gather up that information. We, you can either, for example, Halo Health is very structured. You can fill out a questionnaire and you can grade every aspect of the pitch deck on a scale of one to five or, or bad to good. And in the end, you get a score whether you want to invest or not. You gather as much information as you can in order to make an informed decision whether you want to invest in the company or not. I am part of gathering the information and then processing it. At the end, I give my opinion, yes, no. On average, how much time does it take you per week to do something like that? It depends. Uh, I can control 
it can be anywhere from zero hours up to 20 hours. But the good thing is most of these things are not extremely time sensitive and I can control how much time I put in. Got it. Yeah, because it's not like you get deals every single day. I mean, you can have deals arriving to you every single day. It's just you don't have to make deals every single day. You don't have to have too much FOMO. There's, there's always going to be good companies. And usually they don't close within a week. The, the funding rounds take several weeks, sometimes months, which is not great for the startup, but that, that's a reality. Now we talked about time, we talked about effort. Let's talk about skills and competency. You're an Emerge doc, um, I'm an Emerge doc. We have certain skills. I know where my skills are and I know what I'm lacking <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of competency and knowledge. When you first started into this journey of investing, what were the medical skills that you had that were helpful? That were helpful? So for example, we do a lot of critical thinking. We do a lot of critical evaluation. We, we think on our feet and we think different ways. And the method of deduction in medicine helps us in many, many ways. So when you started this many years ago, what were the medical skills that you've acquired over time in medicine that were really, really helpful to you? In terms of skills that transfer, I mean, reading big amounts of information and distilling it down to what's relevant, I think that's that's number one, both in medicine and in most knowledge related work. So that's that's super important. Then a good understanding of the health sciences and some understanding of the physical sciences is, is important. Your value to the group is bring in your scientific knowledge and your medical knowledge to the business, right? If it's if it's a if it's With a Genesis, med tech, yeah, yeah, yeah. If if it's a med tech or if it's a health tech type of company, you bring in your overall overall knowledge, yeah. right? There's uh, so there's that, and then there is the, the healthcare delivery aspect, which correct. not every every investor can can have. So that how it is, okay, you have a great product, but is it going to be adopted? by the practicing physician if you're going through a practicing physician is it really you may have a great product but is it really good enough to have people who are used to using a competitor's product or or something else for years is it good enough to to replace that i think that takes i think you have to be on the ground to to have an advantage there right Um, i mean i always tell people the Canadian healthcare system is not the same as the American healthcare system, which is also not the same as the UK healthcare system, and definitely not the same as the Greek healthcare system, right? So understanding the different system in, in which you operate and how they are different allows you to make those decisions. Is this marketable? Is this sellable? Who's going to pay for it? Who's the payer? How, how much do we have to sell? What's the price, right? All those come into, into play because you need to know the system in which you're going to market in. So that is something I, I believe as frontline workers we have. Um, someone who work mainly in the hospital may not have that perspective. Uh, but as a family doctor, as an eMERGE doc, you, you have that sort of wider lens to see that. So I think in my, in my mind, that's, a, that's an added value that you bring to the table. You have to have a little bit of probabilistic thinking to go into it and you have to have an appetite for risk. 
I have to stress like a lot of the things, yes, your knowledge is important, but then there are some things that I think a little bit more innate or maybe I'm romantically thinking that they're innate. You have to combine your knowledge and experience along with appetite for risk. I, I guess you're a little bit more comfortable with that because of the fact that you and I work in probabilities, right? Uh, when someone comes into my emergency department, I don't actually know they have an appendicitis, right? I think they have a high probability, medium probability, or low probability until I get that CAT scan. And even that CAT scan tells me there's a high, low, or medium probability. So we work in probabilities. And I think because of your comfort mm -hmm. and my comfort with that, we're a little bit more risk tolerant. But you're right. Some, some other people may be just as risk tolerant and not be an emergency doc at all. Those are the things that you bring to the table that you already acquired uh, as a physician. In your journey, what other skills did you need to get? Like, where were your gaps when you came into yeah. this? Um, a, a lot of it, you have to understand the lingo. That's number one. <laughs> you, you have to understand the players. Um, so this is, this is from, from, you have to read up on who, what is a startup company? Um, who invests? What are the different ways to invest? How does uh, an investor make money? After that, what else would I say was, was really important? I, I, th I think other than education, it's just meeting people who are doing the same thing, who have a little bit more experience, or if they don't, at least, you know, you have someone to talk to about these things and, and you know, just, just a sense of community, I would say. One of the things that I learned over the years, I do a bit of investing myself. I'm, I'm not an angel investor, uh, but over the years, what I've learned is networking is very important. And I say that with specific emphasis because as physicians, we don't network. We come out of, we, we get into medicine. We are practically assured a career. We go into a career we stick in that career. And if I'm an eMERGE doc, I hang around with eMERGE docs. If, uh, if I'm an orthopedic surgeon, I hang around with orthopedic surgeons. I don't tend to hang around with accountants and finance people and authors and whatnot. So the networking possibility or the networking need is not as high if we stick to medicine. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to be an angel investor and you want to understand fintech <laughs> and you want to understand, should I, <laughs> should I invest in fintech? Well, yeah. you need to talk to a bunch of people who are not doctors. And, and that, that becomes the challenge is one time. Do I have time to meet all these people Two, Do I have time to learn about all these things? And if I'm going to meet some guy in finance, I need to understand what he's talking about. So I need to understand the lingo mm -hmm. and, and, and most of us shy away from that because there's a lot of learning and there's a lot of effort to be put yeah. in. But there's also the fact that we don't want to look embarrassed, um, right? And I, listen, I, I want to say this is rational, okay? If you if you look at how much time you have to put in to make a 20% a year, um, it could be a rational thing to not do angel investing or high-risk high investing like this. My motivation is more emotional i would say than it is rational and i'm, I'm not saying it to and i'm not saying it's a bad thing that it's it's more emotional you take 10 percent of, of your portfolio and you do something that you like and if you enjoy ideating about the future and saying okay this 
the world could look like this if this company succeeds. And if you enjoy talking to people who are extremely motivated to see what they have imagined in their head become reality, then it's fun because it's not just, okay, you can make, you know, a hundred X on your investment, but if it has been just hard work and uh, you were just hating every minute of it, you already make enough money as a doctor. There's no reason for you to do this. And you can delegate the investment to someone else and they can do well. But if you're enjoying talking to motivated people who want to see their vision come true, that's what I like the most. This is why I do angel investing. I have like-minded individuals who are all working towards the same goal. And I don't have to balance the interest of this department in my, in my hospital versus the other department of my hospital and sit through endless meeting when everyone's trying to push their agenda. No, everyone's kind of going in, in the same direction. And I'm not saying, you know, if you're a venture capitalist, it's everyone's friends and, and they hung around and they, they, they hug each other. No, I'm not saying that. But at least in angel investing in the beginning, there's that, that's, the, that's the fun part. It forces you to use another part of your brain. We, we use the medicine part of our brain all day long. When we go out, we talk shop. Well, again, we use the same part of the medicine brain that we've acquired through our life. This allows you to do something else that doesn't use your medical brain. Whether it's angel investing, whether it's writing a book, whether it's you know doing a podcast like me and making money. By the way, I don't make any money off this podcast. Nobody has decided to pay me just yet. But if you are, <laughs> I welcome the money. But anyways, the point is you're using a different part of your brain. Um, and I think that is the important part. Because for me, that's the part that helps you in some way mitigate burnout. So I'm going to ask this to you point blank. When you are doing this and you're, you're using your other part of your brain and you're doing this angel investing, do you feel like it's some sort of therapy? Do you feel like, you know what, I'm doing something that allows me to enjoy my life other than just clinical work? What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. I don't see it as work at all. Uh, maybe I am weird, but taking meetings with founders who have crazy ideas, it's just fun for me. That's, that's number one. Um, it's, it takes my brain away from sometimes what can be the grind at work. And it's not, I'm not putting out fires. When, when you're in medicine, you're, you're putting out fire, you're, you're solving, especially in emergency medicine, acute pain, acute problems. With angel investing, you are thinking about in a little bit more creative way or you're supporting the people who are creative and they're, you're taking something from zero to one, something that doesn't exist and you make it reality. It's, it's a completely different emotional state. And I, I, I really enjoy it. I, I really, really enjoy it. So let's come back to wrap this up with the angel investing thing because it's most likely not for everyone. It's for people who are interested in investing and investing in sort of high risk type of businesses. So give us an idea in your world, what's the success rate? I've always heard that most, most venture capitalist uh, projects fail. So seven fail, maybe three succeed, but the three that, that succeeds outpays the seven failures. What is it like in angel investing? Um, so Angel investing follows the power law. So 
yes, seven out of 10 of your investments are gonna go to zero. And then one or two are gonna do a two, three X. And then hopefully you get one of your investments uh, to do a thousand X, to become a unicorn, to become a company that's worth more than a billion dollars. And the math works out this way that you can be wrong, you can even be wrong nine times out of 10, but the one time you're right, if you're really right, it can make up for everything else and give you rates of return that's, that are more than 20%. That's what the good funds are, are, are able to do at least, to, to have uh, some outsized returns from, from a few investments. It's a game that's based on finding those amazing companies, uh, making a lot of bets and hopefully winning big in some of them. Um, if you have several companies, you know, if you have six or seven company companies that do a 3x, 4x, depending on how long it takes for you to get your money back, it may not be as good as even investing, you know, in a broad market ETF because there's the time value of money. It's not just doubling your money. If it takes you 12 years to double your money, then that's under 5%. I think I haven't done the math, but it's, it's a very low annual rate of return. Whereas you need those big bets and hopefully in, in a reasonable amount of time to outpace uh, a, you know, an index, the S&P 500 index, for example. Right. So thank you for sharing your journey with us and your experience with us and your passion. If I were to ask you now to my audience out there, we're all physicians, we're all healthcare professionals. Some of us are suffering the grind of the work. If you have a few tips for us to get started and, and not just in, in doing investing, just get started mm -hmm. into something else, non-clinical work. Okay. What would be, yeah. what would be your top three tips for us? Yeah. Number one is, I, I think th this is something that it is not as clear in medicine as it is in, in, in maybe in the business world or in other professions, the number one asset that you have is time. You have to protect your time. No one has more time than other people. Um, so the, the number one thing I would say is protect your time. Say no. Say no to things you do not want to do. Say no to the extra shift that will just make you extra money that you don't need. So what number one is protect your time. Number two, I kind of alluded to is figure out how much you need to survive and it cannot always be more. We cannot always just be trying to be making more money by, by working more. Control your spending, find out what, what you want, what your, you and your family need to have a certain uh, lifestyle. And number three, in that free time, explore, you have to play. You have to have some free time as much as that is possible, if you have two kids, I, you know, and, and a family, maybe it's not possible to have that, you know, for one day a week, but you have to have some time, some protected free time to explore and, and, and try different things, try different things, look in, look inside, figure out what you like doing, what, where you, where you get lost doing something and then go pursue that. And if that doesn't work, fine, try something else, but have some protected time where you just play, where you just explore new things. Is that possible? If that's, I think, I think it's possible for everyone. Uh, like I said, 
<clears throat> I don't make any money off this podcast, but I still do it uh, because it's fun. I learn every single time. I get to chat with nice friends like yourself. I get to make new friends and it's uh, stimulating. You know, enough about the New England Journal of Medicine and, and enough about the Annals of Emergency Medicine. I like to read things other than just medicine. And it takes me away from that. And I think that's, yeah. and, and I think that's one way for us to combat, to combat burnout is we need to take time for ourselves, for our passion. Um, and uh, even in other fields like, like research, people who end up being successful researchers are not people who just pour over journals all the time. There are people who read the, the research, but also have other creative hobbies. And I think that there's pretty decent literature to, to support that, that you can be a more successful um, researcher if you were a little bit more well-rounded. Agree, agree. So thank you very much for coming on to the show, Tanazi, to talk to us. I am extremely happy to see your success. I am extremely happy to see that someone else in this world is not just a doctor. <laughs> now, it, took a lot, it took a lot just to be a doctor, but to be something else for me is amazing. Uh, and to see that someone else is succeeding at it. Uh, and I want to thank you for sharing your experience and your insight with us today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So there you have it. Another successful physician who is doing something else other than medicine and pursuing a passion, a dream, a vision. We can all do it. We just need to find out what that is for us and take that journey. Uh, and to be really good at it, we need to leverage the skills that we already have, but also do some additional learning. And that's where all the fun is, to be honest. And so thank you very much for listening to this podcast. And if you like it, please share it with your colleagues, with your friends, your dogs, and your cats. If you have any comments or feedback, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.